that worked for a period of time. If Olivia fought with her sister, um, the girls would handle it. They might bicker for a little bit. If something came up with school that she was anxious about, mother let her be and manage it and it was good. But then a public speaking assignment came up and that made Olivia very anxious. And, and she expressed that anxiety to her mother, which then made her anxious. And mother handled it by saying, don't do anything. We'll have to talk with Dr. Burr and he'll figure out how to help us and we'll manage it. Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a patient interview, case presentation, or interviewer discussion with one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We're interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at orgonomy.org. The best way to help the American College of Orgonomy spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. If you're interested in training with the ACO, you can learn more about the medical orgone therapy or social ergonomy training programs. You can connect with us and learn more at ergonomy.org. The Journal of Ergonomy is now on Substack. Check out the link in the show notes to subscribe. Select articles from the journal will be available free of charge. This episode features the audio from one of our ACO case presentation series webinars. I tell Dr. Chaska about my patient Olivia, who was anxious and withdrawn and brought to me for treatment by her parents. The mother, Sabrina, was also very anxious and through working with Olivia and Sabrina both, it became clear just how profound an effect she had on her daughter. Listen in to hear more about Olivia and Sabrina's struggles with anxiety and how they both made profound improvements in their lives. Today, I'm happy to introduce our speaker, Dr. Chris Burrett, who will be presenting Like Mother, Like Daughter. Welcome, Dr. Burrett. Thank you, Dr. Chaska. Dr. Burt treats children, adolescents, couples, and families at his private psychiatric practice in Westchester, Pennsylvania. He's board certified in both child and adolescent psychiatry and general psychiatry. He's a clinical associate of the American College of Orgonomy, and he's the developer and the usual host in this case presentation series, A Different Kind of Psychiatry. Dr. Burrett, tell us about your patient. Dr. Chaska, I'm happy to. Olivia was a 12-year-old girl when she first came for treatment. Her mother had called and said she was concerned about how she would had shut down and withdrawn, and she'd always been shy and reserved, but things had changed dramatically for the worse. So as I do when I work with a child or adolescent, I met first with mother and father to get a sense of who they were, and their perspective of their child and the problem. So tell us what, what did they tell you? What were they worried about? Mother took the lead and explained how Olivia had always been shy and reserved ever since she was little. And she had a small group of friends. She was a good girl, a good student, always getting straight A's. Mm -hmm. um, I first met Olivia in the summer. So the preceding school year, she had stopped eating during the lunch period 
She had a tremendously difficult time being called on by the teacher. And even with the peers that she got along with and were friendly with, uh, she, she was just less engaged with them. Her vitality seemed to have seemed to have diminished. And even with her sister and her uh, extended family, she was less engaged. So she, the parents are seeing a real deterioration in functioning. Yes. What did they seem like? I mean, that's such an important part of it. What did what did the parents seem like? They're both very nice. It was it was good to talk with them. They were straightforward. Their family was traditional. Father was a hard worker. He was an electrician. He worked long hours, often doing double shifts. Um, took pride in being able to um, financially support the family. Uh, mother worked as a special education teacher and took a lot of the responsibility um, with the two girls and and home life. Father was important for Olivia, but clearly, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was clear that this emotional stuff was out of his wheelhouse. This wasn't where he felt confident. And, yeah. and mother mm -hmm. described herself as very anxious and obsessive and very involved uh, with her daughters, including Olivia. So you met with the parents. Mm -hmm. And then tell me, tell me about your first meeting with Olivia. So we'd agreed that I would meet with Olivia a few times to get a sense of who she was and how I saw the problem and, and where to go from there. So her mother brought her for the first appointment and just greeting Olivia in the waiting room, it was clear how timid she was. She made very quick um, tentative eye contact and then looked down as she cautiously walked and followed me into the treatment room. And she was there was a warmth to her. She felt like a, a kind young girl, but very timid and cautious. So even as she sat down, it was as if she wanted to sit down in the right way to not disturb anything. Mm -hmm. And so that was your initial impression. How do you address that? So she's, she's shy, uh, reserved, walking in. Uh, any patient that can be difficult, uh, particularly with an adolescent. How do you, how do you approach, how did you approach that with Olivia? So I, I started off as I always do with just how come you're here? Just a very open-ended question and see, you know, how, how they respond. And in her case, she said, you know, very softly, I need help with social skills. And just immediately with that response, <laughs> I wondered who's speaking here? Are those her words? Is that something she truly needs? Did someone tell her that? And so I asked her to tell me more. And what she described was having a concern about being judged by her peers, her classmates. Um, she mentioned being bullied and teased the last school year. And she mentioned they said a few names that didn't seem specific to her. It wasn't like there was a, a fight or an argument of some kind. It was like she was just picked for the day to be teased, maybe because she was more shy and reserved. It sounds like initially she was giving you this canned thing that she'd heard from somebody else, but you were able to get to her some genuine concerns with her. Yes. You know, it's, it's so important because a lot of times with adolescents, they're there because their mother said so or their father said so, and they don't really want to be there. And it's it's important to know that, yes. <laughs> you know, who, whose idea is it? Yes. And I will say I, I still at that time wasn't sure how big of a deal that was. It was clear that she was withdrawing and that she was hurt by them. Did she want treatment? That's the thing. Her mother and her father realized she was in trouble. Correct. You, do you think I wasn't so sure. So I was very cautious with her. I asked her questions to hear more about school, 
hear about her summer since it was summertime and break had started. And I would ask a question here, I'd ask a question there. There would be maybe a two-word response, two-sentence response, and I don't know. There was a lot of I don't knows. And I wondered, did she truly not know? Was that a way of, of just not engaging with me? So Sounds I was like she was very, very inhibited about speaking up. Yes. Yeah. So, so that, after was that, that the first, first problem you ran into? Is that inhibition on speaking? After the first session with her, what was clear to me was she had difficulty speaking up and just engaging in a basic way. But I, I wasn't clear, you know, not eating and withdrawing. You know, I started to wonder, is there a paranoia to her when she mentioned feeling judged? She didn't give me a clear answer about what that meant. Was it this deep feeling of judgment from someone or yeah. was that just, um, you know, she wanted to make sure she came across the right way. I, I wasn't clear about it, but that was in my mind was, was she fragile and needed to be protected from bullies and, and needed help being guided through this world? Or was she someone who was sensitive but needed encouragement just to handle her peers, handle life, handle her her interaction yeah. with people? I wasn't sure about that after that initial appointment. All right. So how'd you sort that out? You, of course, you're going to start cautiously with her, uh, you know, anorexia is very, very serious illness. Uh, you know, if someone with that problem needs to be approached cautiously, but uh, how did you decide? Uh, what did what did you learn about her and, and where did that take you? My initial assessment was I just needed to engage with her in any way that worked for her. I, I wasn't focused on the problems that mother and father had. I wasn't <laughs> focused on even what she'd mentioned about uh, being bullied by peers, just engaging with her. And this wasn't a trick to get her to open up. It was just engaging and making some kind of connection to see who she was and and hear what she was about. And so in just asking questions and, and getting to know her, what I found was helpful to connect was um, there was a, a streaming show that she really enjoyed. I, if I remember, it was, I think, one of the Star Wars um Mm -hmm. newer shows that came out of the time at the time and she loved the show she watched it multiple times she loved the different characters there are uh, websites dedicated to um, different aspects of the show that aren't even on the show and there's forums and people have all kinds of ideas about it and she loved to talk about that she she followed the actors and what they were doing on social media and that was how we would connect and so this you connect with her on the surface the interests and, and that kind of thing. And she she gets to see that you're not going to judge her or criticize her for her interests. Uh, yes. And, and what she was doing in the summertime, if she liked to swim, um, she was interested in animals, hearing about her pets, just to connect to her on whatever level. And that was the level that we could connect on that more superficial and what she enjoyed to do, not what bothered her. I would ask her a few questions about was there something disruptive at home and from session to session just kind of was there anything that was upsetting and that wasn't where she was that there there was nothing i don't know nothing yeah. i'm fine yeah. um so just connecting that superficial level was helpful for us now of course you're watching for more than that did you get an idea and you're at some point you're go going to move to a deeper level with her did you get any clues about how to get pat you know well, of course it's important to make this superficial connection but any clues about what was behind it how to 
get to, to some of the deeper problems? So one thing I didn't mention was when I first met her, what stood out was how unemotional her facial expression was. There was very little that she expressed. And I wondered what that was about. Was she deeply disconnected with how mm -hmm. she felt? Was she just scared stiff? You know, she just didn't express anything because there was this, this fear and inhibition that had, had taken over. She wasn't um, giving you anything. There was very little emotional expression uh, yeah. for the first several sessions. But getting to, to hear her, it, it became clear that she probably wasn't paranoid. She was very inhibited and timid, but not mm -hmm. um, disconnected. When I was in the room with her, it felt like there was an engagement, even on the superficial level. It didn't feel like she was off on another planet in some way, just very deeply um, disconnected from her own feelings and, and from the world around her. So that was very helpful, but I, I kept looking for it because I just wasn't clear how withdrawn she could become. But one of the sessions, I had her lie down on the treatment couch, and I mm -hmm. I asked her to do so and just to take some deep breaths and look look around the room. So this would give me a better understanding of just how emotionally um, she felt, how she connected with me, how she connected with just some basic exercises. Yeah, you can see a lot more when someone's lying on the couch. Dr. Folia talks about this all the time, and it was absolutely the case with Olivia. So I had her take some deep breaths. I had her look around the room. I had her kick her legs a little bit. And I just asked how she felt. How did she feel about doing these exercises? And she said, mm -hmm. I feel calm. And her face was expressionless still. And I had the distinct impression that she was telling me what I wanted to hear that, you know, here's a psychiatrist having you do these things on a treatment couch. Oh, you know, it's so calming. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> then I just had her take some more deep breaths and I had a distinct impression that she showed a little bit of sadness, just a little bit in her eyes and in, mm -hmm. with her facial expression. And just to have a sense of, was she aware of that? Was she connected with that feeling? I just said, Olivia, do you feel sad? And she looked at me like I had two heads, like, what is this guy talking about? She wasn't but ready to go there yet. <laughs> immediately after, her 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 breathing became more shallow and her, her body became stiff. And that to me was, again, a clear sign that we were at a superficial level. She was not going to be connected with me on a deeper emotional level or even expressing yeah. or showing any kind of sadness. Um, so she's masking her face. She's holding her breath. Did you see any other issues? Uh, you, you mentioned she was, sounds like she was very inhibited about speaking up as well, at least so, speaking her own opinions. So how I handled understanding and, and treating that was at the next session, I felt clear that the couch was a lot for her, but I still asked her, Olivia, would you like to lie down and take deep breaths? <laughs> she, she she gestured with her head. So I asked her to tell me. She said no. And I said, okay. And we did our typical routine of just asking what's going on, hearing about the TV show, hearing about her pets. And then the next session, Olivia, would you like to lie down on the couch and take some deep breaths? No. So you turned an overreach into a, an asset by allowing her to, to, to say no, which was yes. probably what she really needed to do first. It's, and it was wonderful. And I found out from mother who I'm working with while I'm working with Olivia, which I'll, I'll tell you about that mother 
had always been panicked about how Olivia is a good girl and she worried about her going along with the crowd. So to hear Olivia tell her mother, Dr. Bird asked if I wanted to lie down on the couch and I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> that lit up her mother. Her mother was so proud of her for, oh, hey, you're great. not just going to go do what someone asked you to do without voicing your own feelings about it. Step um, forward for mom too, you know, not to say, oh, you got to do what Dr. Burrett says. Exactly. Exactly. It was wonderful. Yeah. So what about her, what about her eyes? What were her eyes like? Anxious. Um, th mm -hmm. That was the one spot where she showed any kind of feeling and, and she looked afraid often. Um, so she would, was she in touch with that? She wasn't in touch with the sadness when it came up. Was, was she aware of the, the fear in her eyes? I didn't ask her. It would. It, I had the sense that that wouldn't have been helpful. Been, so no, she probably she, at least it was too too deep to go. Correct. All right. So I want to tell you about working with mother because the other aspect of meeting first with mother and father is to mm -hmm. get them to understand how important it is that I work with parents when I'm working with a child or a teenager. And, and now at this point, are you telling the parents I'm working with you to help your child? You're not yes. a formal therapy with the parent. It's Correct. So initially our plan was that I'd work with Olivia one-on-one -on -one, and then I'd meet with the parents or largely mother either every other session or for part of the session to be engaged about what was going on, their sense of, of how they saw things and, and just how they're dealing with it to help them deal with the aspects of school or home. Mm -hmm. And what became very clear uh, initially was how involved mother was. And I'll, I'll give you an example of what she told me. She was saying how uh, she told Olivia to go take out the trash. That was one of her chores. And Olivia's response was, oh, gross. Do I have to? And she's not a brat. She's a good mm -hmm. girl. She was going to do it. But her mom's response was, do I have to pay your cell phone bill? So and mom got snarky with her instead of just saying, yeah, you got to exactly your job and what olivia needed to hear was yes yeah you do mm -hmm. and but also be allowed to say oh i don't want to do that you know just to voice some kind of yeah. displeasure that that meant a lot for olivia mm -hmm. and when i heard that though mother and i weren't connected this was early on mm -hmm. i couldn't say anything about that i didn't feel like that's where we were so i just heard it and, and mom would have felt too it. criticized Correctly. Yeah. I, I felt fairly certain that mother would have felt criticized if I would have mentioned that. Yeah. But as we continued to work together, what mother told me later was uh, Olivia asked the question of like, what is there to eat? You know, what do we have for lunch today? And her mother engaged with her about this simple question of what do we have to eat? And they had an hour long argument about this or that or this or hmm. that. And the mother said, I gave up and I just stormed off and let her deal with it. And you know what happened? Hooray. Olivia made a sandwich and it was perfectly fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she wasn't going to starve to death. Exactly. And so uh, that was a perfect. Was mom able to see that, that it was okay? Yes. She saw on her own and I highlighted and underscored it for her because that was a perfect example that Olivia could actually deal with things on her own. She wasn't, she was sensitive, but she wasn't fragile. She could manage things. She didn't need her mother to be intervening with things. Mm -hmm. And this really came to a head when I told mom that you, you need to be more hands-off. Let Olivia be. If she comes to you 
and ask you for help, help her. She, she'll need it. If, I would listen mm-hmm. to her if she comes to you with something. But if she's doing things on her own, even though she's withdrawn at times, even though she's reserved, she'll manage. I, I had no doubt about it as I got to know her more. And so that worked for a period of time. If Olivia fought with her sister, um, mm-hmm. the girls would handle it. They might bicker for a little bit. If something came up with school that she was anxious about, mother let her be and manage it and it was good. But then a public speaking assignment came up and that made Olivia very anxious. And and mm-hmm. she expressed that anxiety to her mother, which then made her anxious. And mother handled it by saying, don't do anything. We'll have to talk with Dr. Burr and he'll figure out how to help us and we'll manage it. And so, you know, I, I saw mother and saw Olivia. And by that time, I felt clear that Olivia, what I told her was, Olivia, you can talk with your teacher and figure out how you guys want to handle it. If your teacher thinks that um, you need some assistance in this way, mm-hmm. I support it. And I think that'll be fine. If she says no, and she thinks you can handle it, I trust your teacher. They know you well. You're a good student. All the teachers love her. Um, they know what she needs. I, I trust the teacher to, to manage it with you. And she accepted that. And with mother, I told her, you have to keep your fears to yourself. Your anxiety is infectious. It's not helping Olivia. And this is for you to deal with. And, mm-hmm. and she took it to heart. And, and, and she did a good job of just letting it be. And shortly after that, mother came to me and asked for her own therapy. She'd been in therapy wow. before, but she'd been out of it. She'd, she'd used medicine in the past, but our interactions, our work together and working with Olivia, she was starting to see just how much she affected her daughter, how much her own anxiety, how much she was involved. It, it was more clear than ever for her. Now, I'm really interested in hearing uh, about the mom, but there's one thing I wanted to go back to that I n- noted when I, I read your write-up of this situation was that you did this work with Olivia. She was getting better in the home. And yet at that point, you offered her Prozac. Yes. So and I was, I, I think that's such a, a an interesting therapeutic point there. I wonder if you could explain why then after you, you've done all this work uh, when you didn't use it before and then you did. Initially, uh, I met her in about June, mid-June mm-hmm. at some point. And so we had made some progress, both in, in terms of how she engaged with me and was able to open up mm-hmm. to a limited degree. And then at home, she opened up um, much more at home. But when they were when the family was out, they went out to dinner or gone to the beach. She still had a tremendously difficult time. And these were activities that she enjoyed. They mm-hmm. weren't particularly normally challenging for her as school can be, but mm-hmm. she was still having a hard time, even though she was making progress. And I had the clear sense that she needed to dampen things down temporarily. It was She was too overwhelmed. And especially with the upcoming school year, where there was going to be this transition back into school, she needed the relief of the medicine to build some self-confidence that that she can manage things on her own. And so you use the medicine to help her face her fears and function. Correct. Yes. Which is the right use for medicine. I think so. So if if we didn't use medicine, the concern would be that it would be too overwhelming. Um, right. She'd be too withdrawn, lose confidence in her ability just to face 
uh, her feelings and, and the environment that she was dealing with. You furthered her independence yes. with it. Yes. That's wonderful. All right. Tell us about working. So now you're shifting more to working with the mom. Is that right? Or are you still seeing them both? I continue to work with Olivia mm-hmm. and I then would meet with mom specifically with the goal of looking at her role as mother and and, and her perspective on Olivia's functioning. And then she had her own um, therapy appointments that were whatever what was important to her. If it had nothing to do with Olivia, that's what we focused on. And that was important mm-hmm. to her that she had her own time to focus on just her. Mm. And so, you know, basically... Because I imagine she was her... Uh, over involvement in her daughter was the way she handled her anxiety and she needed a better way to handle that and therapy would do it. She was controlling in the nicest way possible. (laughs) I like that. She wasn't pushy. She wasn't mean, but when her anxiety got stirred up, she would control the household, including her daughter. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So how did you approach that? What did you, uh, how do you, how did you connect with her? Again, cautiously and patiently. And what I've learned from Olivia was- Like mother, they, like daughter. <laughs> absolutely. Um, they both needed time. It wasn't just that I needed to wait for the right moment, but they truly just needed time uh, to get to know me, but also just to face their feelings cautiously and slowly and, and that mm-hmm. was how they operated. And that was perfectly fine. And working with mother initially was just hearing about her history of anxiety and how it really was there every day, all day. And she described herself as an anxious person. And that was the perfect opportunity. There's a lot of important principles in medical orgone therapy that are worth um, being explicit with the patient. And, and one that I almost always talk about directly is anxiety is the feeling one has when an impulse is blocked. And that's so helpful for someone who calls himself an anxious person, because what that says to me is you have all kinds of feelings and impulses. It's not just anxiety, but typically she was only connected with the anxiety. Mm. And so just to help her see that she didn't just have anxiety, she would be pissed off. She'd be sad. Mm -hmm. She would be worried about something, afraid. She would feel guilty. She had all kinds of feelings that she would just feel that layer of anxiety when they were blocked and had no outlet or no uh, ability to connect with. And that was very so, helpful for her. What was her defense structure? How did, you know, she's got anxiety. Uh, people develop a set of defenses, uh, you know, the character structure. What was her defensive structure, her reaction to her anxiety? It's very interesting because she had on one side a very energetic, bubbly, always moving aspect to her, especially when she wasn't in the office with me. She described being very talkative, being um, constantly on the go. In therapy with me, she was almost the complete opposite. She was still, she wasn't sure what she wanted to say. She sometimes would be aware that she had something to say, but couldn't say it. She was frozen. Run or freeze. That's the choice. Yes. And so for her to be frozen and still with me was invaluable for me to be patient with her to to manage that struggle. So initially, 
we would sit up talking face to face. And that that did a lot for her just to say what it was on her mind and to say whatever level she could feel what was there. And she really felt heard. And that was something that was very intense for her because she never felt heard. She always felt like someone was half listening to her, dismissing her, countering her. So just to talk with me was very helpful for her until we got to a point, maybe about six months into her treatment, when it felt like we were just talking for the sake of talking. Like, you know, you, you're in quote, talk therapy, someone might think. And so they're supposed to come and tell their psychiatrist about what happened to the day. And my sense was, this is maybe how her prior therapy was. Yeah. And I had the sense people this can, wasn't- People can talk to avoid feeling. Yes. So initially she talked to express her feeling. And then there was a shift about six months in when she was talking to get away from her feeling. And so I said, I want you to tell me what's important to you. Do you feel we need to talk about something that's really moving you or, or really stirring you up? Or do we need to just be together and see what comes up without talking? And um, she listened to me and heard that. And I said, you've talked with Olivia about the treatment couch. I think this would be helpful for you at this point. But first, you tell me, how, how do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. She looked at me and said, Dr. Bird, I don't, I don't think I like that at all. I need to move. And, and she was right. She, you know, she would uh, move her leg. She would fidget. She, she was often in motion. And so. Even Couch though is a great like, place to move. <laughs> <laughs> so, but being obedient, she lied down on the couch and, and listened to my direction to just take some deep breaths. She mm -hmm. took some deep breaths. She moved her eyes around. And then I said, just kick a little bit. And she did nothing. And she did nothing. And I waited and I waited and she did nothing. And I waited. And then it was time to end the session. So I said, okay, how do you feel? And she said, okay. And I wondered, did she really feel okay? But I said nothing. And at the next appointment, she said, Dr. Burke, can we talk about our last session? And I said, sure. Mm -hmm. She said, all week I've been thinking, I don't know what it was. You know, you just asked me to kick my legs. What's the big deal? And I asked her, is it that you couldn't, that you wouldn't? And she said, no, it's not defiance. And, and she was really genuinely wondering what's going on with me. What yeah. was it? And, and she came to it that, you know, I wanted to do the right thing. And so I asked, well, what if you think uh, one thing is the right thing? And what I think another thing is the right thing. What do you do then? And she immediately said, well, I want to do the right thing for the other person. And so I asked her, well, what about yourself? What about you? Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like you put other people before yourself. And I knew this to be the case. And just hearing how, you know, her work as a special needs uh, teacher and, and just hearing how she worked with her two daughters, that was the case. And I said, it sounds like you're last, Sabrina. Her name is Sabrina. Mm -hmm. And she said, and they don't know it. Meaning she felt it. She she rarely allowed herself to feel it. but But she was always putting other people before herself. And there was a part of her that wasn't happy with that, but she hadn't quite dealt with that yet. She hadn't even allowed herself to feel it much. And it sounds like not only did was she not heard, but she wasn't appreciated that that she would put herself out for people so much and, and people wouldn't acknowledge or appreciate. That's how I felt, yes. Yeah. So now I want to tell you, around this time, Olivia told her mother, you know, I only went into therapy because you told me I needed to. <laughs> there it was. 
There it is. And so the truth of the matter was she had some sense that, that things weren't all well, but she was being a good girl listening to her mother that, okay, you have to go see this doctor and, and figure out what's going on or work on your social skills. But at that point, she was doing better, both through our work together with the medicine, and she was fine with having a few handful of friends. She was basically a little bit below her normal functioning, not quite where she had been before, but she was satisfied with it. So that was very helpful for me to have a discussion with mother about that Olivia was reserved. She still had uh, difficulty speaking up and being in the spotlight when called on, but she didn't see a problem with that. Yeah. And there was a part of, of just Olivia speaking up that, you know, I feel okay now. I, I want to do things on my own, essentially. Yeah. Um, that was absolutely worth listening to. That's the health and, in her. Exactly. And Mom you don't have a patient that. unless they feel pain from their condition. And she wasn't. She was happy with the way things were going. She was. She was. Partly through mom's work um, to stay out of things, I think that allowed Olivia to, to have some sense of independence and some feel some of her own nature that just said, you know, go this way. And, and so I encourage mother to listen to her that I wasn't going to treat her if she felt the things were okay, but that we would touch base. And Olivia and I agreed to, to touch base infrequently just to check in and see how she was doing. She wanted to do that. Um, she wanted to stop the medicine to see how she did off of it. And, and what turned out of that was um, she stopped the medicine, felt a little bit worse, wanted to resume the medicine and then continue on it for a little bit before she finally said, I can do it on my own. I want to be off the medicine. And we agreed to meet, you know, like three months later, rather than, you know, we've been meeting twice, twice monthly initially. And, and I was so proud of Olivia for, for handling things on her own, knowing that she could speak up to her mother. If she had a problem, she could always have her mother call me if, if, if something came up. Yeah. Um, but I was proud of her for, for just facing things on her own. She was engaging with you at the level of, what she wanted you know she wasn't being forced into it and it you know she was happy with where she was for more or less and you know that leaves the door open at some point you know if she starts to feel pain again from any of these uh th things you know the fear of speaking up or uh any of these other things she can always come back yes and i had no doubts about it whatsoever, not just because of Olivia's increased functioning and, and some of her drive and independence, but because mother, as difficult as it was, she was earnestly working in her therapy. And because of how profound of an effect she had on her daughter, the more she continued to work in her own therapy, it only allowed Olivia to bloom even more. And it, it's been so wonderful to watch. But even at that early stage, um, her mother just stepping back and letting Olivia be had been so helpful to the point that when Olivia decided to go out on her own and I would check in with her every so often, mother and my work together had, say, over a period of a year, there's maybe two times we actually talked about Olivia. 
That's it, good. It, it wasn't about a direct conflict with them. It wasn't something that yes. needed to be addressed. But mm -hmm. mother seeing her emotional problems and just facing them and dealing with them withdrew any energy she needed to expend on, on being involved or controlling or doing anything with anybody else, let alone her daughter, Olivia. And, and so just removing that block allowed Olivia to, to keep going forward. She started dealing with her own life and she didn't have to, you know, control Olivia. Yes. What, anything that you can share, what came up? Uh, what kind of any issues that came out with her? Any, uh, did you work on any character issues or physical issues or social issues? The way I would describe, especially the first year, was just patiently allowing her to be in the room with me, to have feelings come up, feel the restraint of wanting to speak up about something, but feeling inhibited and not pushing it at all. And it was so clear to me that that's what she needed, that I could overcome my own tendency to want to do something. I mean, mm -hmm. to give you a small example of me. My wife and I are in the car. Do we go left or right? Oh, let's check the directions. I say, let's go left and see what happens. There's a part <laughs> of me that likes to be moving and likes to do things. And because we had such a good connection, Sabrina and I, and because I knew that she needed it, it actually wasn't difficult for me just to patiently sit with her. I mean, there would be times when 20 minutes would go by and she would be lying there and I could feel engaged with her. I could feel that she was struggling with this inhibition, speak up, don't speak up. You and, felt the contact with her. And I could just be there with her and, and, and say nothing. And I'll bet she felt listened to and heard. Absolutely. It, it, yeah. We were engaged even though no one was saying anything. And, yeah. and that was very helpful for her. And often what would happen would, could we talk about our last session, Dr. Burrett? Sure. And she would tell me about her struggle. It would be too much if I were to try to press her into saying, what are you struggling with right now? You know, while she's lying down on the couch and just breathing and I'm sitting there for 20 minutes, it would be too much. So I had to let her just patiently work through it and then bring it to me the next session. And that's what worked for her. And I had no doubt it was working for her because she was feeling better. She was much less anxious from day to day. And there was ebbs and flows. She would, um, something would come up and the anxiety would spike. But overall, you know, over this trajectory of the first year, she just was feeling better. She was less involved with her daughter's life. Just her functioning from day to day was better. And what came out was she did have other feelings. She was feeling much less anxious, but she was aware of just a, a sadness that was there, mm. sometimes every day, sometimes not. And just allowing that to be there and her to work through that was very helpful for her. She started and, to feel. Yes. Yes. It wasn't just anxiety. She would get frustrated. She'd feel sad. She'd feel guilty, feeling guilty just about the fact that she had needs that came in conflict with someone else. Mm -hmm. Was she able to learn to stand up more for her own needs? Did she make progress in that? She was. Um, often that came up between us. And often what would happen was she'd be able to speak up more with me and then Maybe a few weeks, a few months later, she's able to do that in her personal life with her husband, with mm -hmm. um, her brother, coworker. But there was this one time that was that really stood out to me. She told me as she was lying there on the couch, there's something I really want to say, but I can't say it. And 
and she felt frustrated. She, she said, I just feel so frustrated because I, I want to say, it, but I can't say it. And I could just feel the tension within her. Mm-hmm. And what stood out to me was she almost had this kind of resting, pleasant smile. You know, as she's telling me how frustrated she is, as I can feel the tension, she looks calm and pleasant. And with the plan to help her connect with the fact that she wasn't showing that frustration, I could feel it, but there was no expression. I, I said, Sabrina, you don't look frustrated. And she paused. And I felt connected one moment. The next moment, I did not feel connected to her. She said, how should I look? And there was this edge (laughs) to it that on one hand, it it was one of those dynamic interactions that in therapy where I realized what I'd done, I'd made a mistake, but it also was a wonderful mistake that I'd made that allowed her to voice her frustration with me. And I said to Sabrina, I realized that that just shut you down. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking that this was going to happen or th- this is what I was intending. And, you know, I, I blew it. I, I wasn't aware of, um, of where we were right then. I'm sorry. And she didn't look at me. And I said, Sabrina, can you look at me for a moment? And, and she cautiously looked at me and I said, I'm sorry, I screwed up. And mm. she didn't respond. But as she, as she did, the next session, she said, can we talk about our last session? She said, I've been feeling really connected. I've been feeling this intense feeling. Um, you know, everyone always tells me I'm too sensitive. You're too sensitive. You worry too much about this. But no one has ever apologized for being insensitive. Nobody. Uh, and wow. in that moment, I wasn't connected with her and I was insensitive. And my comment just served to, to shut her down and... Um, luckily I realized it and was able to apologize. And it was this important moment for her and for me, um, that we could connect over, over that mistake. Yeah. And allowed her, her, for her, who also was a good girl to speak up and say that to me was, was wonderful. That was big. That was big. So So you mentioned the father, it seems, uh, I, like, I feel like I've lost track of him. Was was he a factor in, in his daughter's therapy or after that? Not directly with Olivia. Um, he was important to her and he played. And one thing that was wonderful to see as, as Olivia progressed and hearing from mother, she had this fun impish side, her, you know, kind of mildly breaking the rule, Part, any any part of her that wasn't the good girl came out in this fun, impish side. And her father um, very much had a side like that, that that they would, you know, play with each other, tease each other in, in a way that wasn't mean, but in a way that connected them. And mm-hmm. that was the extent of, of how father was involved with Olivia, just engaging on that level. And mm-hmm. in mother's therapy, he he plays a role, but not so much initially. Right? We're, we're just getting to that. I I'm still she's still in treatment with me. I'm so still she's with- still in treatment, and and she started. Sounds like she's then starting uh, to to get into uh, something uh, something a little more. Yes, yes. You know, just slowly addressing the layers of feelings that she has and and the inhibition that she feels, mm-hmm. and. I want to mention a really wonderful moment working with Sabrina when, you know, 
in the back of my mind, I know Olivia continues to do well. There's a few times she'd mentioned specifically something that came up that she managed, you know, in a public speaking assignment and did really well. And that um, she made a new friend and just slowly, you know, just slowly continuing to, to broaden her horizons, to engage with the world, with her peers. But if, if I had any doubt and I didn't have much doubt that, that things were going well, no doubt was in my mind after I heard Sabrina come in one day and say, Dr. Burrett, Olivia asked me if she could start a job. She wanted us to start working. Uh, and I said, really? I want to hear about this. What's going on? She said she wants to meet new people and she wants to make some money. I mean, to have someone go from not eating in front of other people, withdrawing, not even really talking with her mother and her sister and her cousins, to saying, I want to go out in the world, you know, I want to kill something and take it home, and I'm going to meet people along the way, was amazing. <laughs> and, and this was nobody else's idea. They weren't encouraging her. She said, darn it, you know, I can get my working papers at this age, I can work, and I want to meet new people. You know, I'm tired of meeting all the people I met at school. Like I've known them for this many years. I want to meet some other people. I want to see what the world's like. I want to make money because I want to go to a Taylor Swift concert. You know, I want to, <laughs> I want to buy this. I want to buy that. Wonderful. Independence and responsibility. Absolutely. Yes. I want to ask you some general questions about your approach to families and children. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about this specific patient or these two patients or uh, can, can we move on? Is there anything we missed with the with the either? Uh... I think we, we have the full picture. There's just one thing that I didn't mention that, that I thought was amusing and um, pretty good. There, there was a time that Sabrina came in for one of her individual appointments when Olivia had then stopped her own treatment. And Sabrina said that she had kind of gotten back into her old habits of being too involved. And mm -hmm. Olivia looked at her and said, do you need to go see Dr. Barrett? And she said that to her mother, but it was perfect because she didn't do it in like a rude or obnoxious way. She wasn't um, putting her mother in her place. She was, she saw it. She saw Simply it. Simply offered a solution. Yes. And, and mother to her credit, didn't take it as an attack, but just said, you're right. Like you, you caught me, you know, I went back to my old ways. Yeah. You know, this this sounds like a really wonderful family to work with. They, they are a tremendous family. And I didn't even mention, I mean, Olivia is an amazing student. She, she's in 10th grade now. She's mm -hmm. taking college courses. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if she's graduating college in a few years and wow. getting accepted into a prestigious program. I mean, even dealing with the withdrawal that was pretty severe when we first met, that didn't inhibit her her work. That that was pretty remarkable. She always had good work function. Yes. Yeah, yeah. which is important. Yeah. Yeah. What can you tell us about uh, your experience working with children and families? Uh, does it always work out like this? So what's what's your approach? You, you have any observations or or thoughts you can share with us? on that one. On yeah. So as I mentioned, I, I always meet with mother and father first. Mm -hmm. And that gives me a sense 
at least an initial impression of, of how things might go. And what I've learned over the years is if I have to corral the parents to come in for sessions to address what's going on, or if there's any sense of this, you know, here's my child and their problem, and I need you to fix it, and, and I'll be over here, um, it often doesn't work out. And, and sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised, uh, but often if we can't have that initial connection to see things at some level of the involvement of the family and how that, that affects a child, um, it often doesn't work. And I, you know, Dr. Foley and I have talked about in prior webinars about how important um, parents are, and often mothers, especially for, for children's well-being, their emotional well-being, um, often to the point that they need their own therapy. But sometimes people don't want to hear that. That's not where they are. Yeah, I've, I've had that experience. I've uh, sometimes uh, treat a child or adolescent and they get better and they're gone. You know, it's almost as if the family system can't tolerate the change in the child. Or sometimes even uh, uh, a bit worse that the therapy, when I see a child or an adolescent, becomes how do I help them survive their family? Uh, Unfortunately, sometimes that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the other thing I would say is to have a parent have some sense of even what they're dealing with. So I, I think a lot of times, it's rarely said, but you know, there, there's a, a common idea of, of being criticized by a therapist or psychiatrist of doing something wrong. You know, we mentioned even working with Sabrina early on, she mentioned something that I felt even just addressing it. And I'm a nice guy. I, I'm not harsh with parents, but even just knowing that how she might hear it that way, I didn't bring it up. Um, so sometimes I'll, I will just explicitly say, you know, I, I'm not here to criticize you, but you're important. You're more important than anybody to these children, to your child. Um, so how you're doing, how things are at home matters. And um, some people can hear that and, and some can't. Yeah. But parenting is very hard. And I try to help, con I try to connect with a parent or parents initially by, you know, sometimes by, you know, being in the foxhole together, like it is really hard being a parent. I have my own children. I have a sense of it. And just tolerating the intensity of the feeling in children, children, the intensity of their feelings is often so much more than adults. They're less deadened by armoring. Yes. And and so to, to help a parent realize that part of what they need help with is just to be able to tolerate that. And sometimes that means tolerating their own internal feelings, let alone their children's that, that get added to it. Um, sometimes that can help bridge the gap. We've got a question from the audience, uh, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, this is how important or not important is it for the child or parent to know anything about Reich's work and the basic principles of ergonomy for therapy to be effective? In some ways, not at all. In some ways, yeah. very much so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the way I would describe that is, I guess kind of what I was just saying, but I would never lecture a parent about, you know, specific 
um, techniques or theory uh, that Reich had developed and that I that I feel are very important for me as a psychiatrist to know. But some of the basics, like I mentioned, you know, I'll, I'll be explicit sometimes of just understanding what anxiety is as a feeling, that it's not just fear, that it's not just a thought, getting away from, you know, people tend to be intellectual these days, but giving them some grounding and what we're talking about when we're talking about feelings and emotions is invaluable, I think, for parents to understand. Um, spontaneity. Yes, you don't want to get heady. Yeah, I, I know that there's some parents that I've said, oh, read, read this. And others, I'd say, no, nah, you know, just uh, some some people will get in, into their heads and make it a defense. Uh, but other people can can benefit from from reading and understanding, right? So, it yeah, depends really. on the person and what they're able to hear. I will say with Sabrina, she was very curious. And, you know, Olivia didn't get her smarts from nothing. You know, Sabrina <laughs> was also very smart and yeah. she was curious. And I love that part of her of when I asked her how she's feeling and she said, I don't know, I don't feel anything. Can you feel nothing? Just there was this curiosity here that I love to connect with of just helping her understand some of the basics of when we talk about her feelings and how she doesn't feel something and then how she can connect with it. Um, she, you know, I, I wouldn't say go read this in the journal article or, or read uh, character analysis or something, but but just talking with her on that level because of her curiosity and her intellectual, she was intellectual in a way that that could be defensive, but also could be very helpful for her. And when we were able to connect in that way, it, it was wonderful. All right. There's one more question. I, I think if we could take one more and, uh, and then I think it'll be time to close. Have you ever had a parent interfere by encouraging a child to discontinue therapy? Hmm. Not that I can recall. To me, it, it just seems like if, if a parent's against the therapy of a child, uh, that, that therapy is pretty doomed, you know, that's, yeah. that's not going to work. No, but what does come to mind is I've had parents who have an idea of what they think therapy is supposed to be or should be. Mm. And that often interferes. And, and mm. often that takes repeated attempts to get through the parents about how therapy actually is with their child versus how they see it. And often that comes in the form of, you need to go talk to Dr. Bird about this. You know, they'll see something, they'll be anxious about something that they'll, the child will tell a parent about something. And they have this sense that it's not that you have to tell me about it. You have to go tell your psychiatrist about it. But the mm -hmm. connection that the patient and I have, the child and I have is very different than he or she has with mother or father. And that's often not where we are. It's not, that they're just going to come tell me about their anxiety about something um, especially with smaller children who mm. might be engaged on a, a, a different level. So, so that's how I've seen it come up when, and how they interfere. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with uh, before we close? I would like to underscore just how important a parent's emotional functioning, often mothers, but, but any parent's emotional functioning is on their child. Here, parenting, here. Is, parenting is hard work for a parent to tolerate their child's intense feelings. It often means they need to tolerate their own. And so 
Medical orgone therapy helps patients tolerate their feelings, tolerate and express them. It can be absolutely essential if, if there's a child who's suffering emotionally for a parent to, to face their own feelings, just like Sabrina did. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Burr. Thank you, Dr. Cheska. And I want to make a special thank you to the donors of the ACO, uh, without whom uh, this work wouldn't be possible. How do you feel after listening to Olivia and Sabrina's story? What do you think? I continue to be impressed with Sabrina's courage as she continues in treatment now addressing deeper parts of her emotional life. She and her children, including Olivia, are doing better than ever. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at ergonomy.org. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Ergonomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical orgone therapy, as practiced by the physicians at the ACO, offers a way forward, often without the use of medication.